Jesus, help us this morning. Please help us this morning. Aren't you glad he's in the house? First Sunday, our first worship experience together in a brand new year. Aren't you, aren't you thankful? I'm so glad you're here. Uh, often, as a new year is approaching, I'm asked, uh, especially as I travel in other churches, minister, they ask, you know, what do you, what do you think the new year will bring? And I'm not a prophet, so it's always an interesting question to me, because I don't see it through a prophet's lens. But let me, let me say what I absolutely am sure of this week with this. Two men are speaking together. One says, what do you think the new year will bring? And the other says, it will bring flowers. <laughs> the other man says, how do you know? Because I'm planting flowers. This I know, we will receive in this year what we have planted and what we will plant. That I know. And let me read this out of the Message Bible. I could probably leave right after this. This is good enough for the morning. (laughs) This is out of Galatians chapter 6. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get a chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. That is not a threat. It's a promise that what we sow, we will reap. What we plant, we will find a harvest in. So that I'm sure of this year. Absolutely positive. So let's just pray this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for all that you are to us. And we just knew, Holy Spirit, you'd be here this morning. So we graciously say this place is yours. We are yours. Work in our hearts today that your story would be told in the hearts and minds of all of us today as we speak from your word. And Lord, we pray for those that have called in and indicated they've got so much of this bronchial stuff going around. As Michelle has prayed, we just curse that in Jesus' name. We command it to release its grip upon the hold of the lungs and the respiratory system of those in the name of Jesus for your glory and your grace but also because you simply have compassion on them just like you healed the multitudes because you had compassion on them so we ask that in Jesus name amen amen Deborah is not with us this morning she's had bronchitis for almost two weeks now she's doing better thank God she's doing better finally got up to be able to do the laundry. I'm just so glad. I'm so glad. I mean, it was getting thin, I'm telling you. I hate wearing the same underwear three days in a row. No, not really. No, not really. You're going to be my wife this morning, aren't you? I can see it. You have the spirit of Deborah on you. She's always the one that says, ah, ah, mm, 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 mm. But she is doing better, which I am very thankful for. So let's, uh, let's talk this morning. I, I, I'm going to warn you, I'm going to wander. That doesn't mean I'm going to walk back and forth on the, pl- on the stage. I'm going to wander in thoughts, okay? That'd be all right with you this morning if I do that. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for it, but 
Please grant me grace today. All right. So what is this? This is not a magic show. Nothing's. Is it? It's communion. Really lumpy bread. So what is it? It's like you made the bread. Huh? Is that right, Michelle? Michelle says that's like her bread. I actually like that kind of bread. Yes. So what is it? Anybody know? It's rocks. Very good. Stones. All right. Altar of remembrance. Yeah, maybe. Well, maybe. It's a strong table. Yes. You guys are full of it this morning. I'm not going to tell you what you're full of, but there we go. Now, before I tell you what this is, I need to tell you the story. Because story is important to understanding. Lisa Cron in her book, Wired for Story, convinces, convinced me of the fact that we actually live in story. The decisions we make, the perception we have of life comes from stories that we have in our life. And we live out of story. Neuroscience has actually found that to be very true, that the brain is actually wired for story. You don't know it, but you make your choices often because of a story you know. Or a story you want. So I need to tell you the story. So simply just saying what these rocks are doesn't mean anything. They won't give you any revelation, but if I tell you the story... We can gain some revelation this morning. That's my prayer, too, that we do as I wander through this story today. That we will gain a revelation that will confirm his work in us and his will for us. So let me tell the story. The children of Israel have come out of Egypt where they were slaves. How many of you know why they're called the children of Israel? Well, let me tell you, this is a little of a side. I'm wandering for a moment. That the children of Israel call the children of Israel because they are the children of Israel. Who is Israel? Jacob. Jacob was, you know, you know the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was not, he was an interesting man, Right? And had some really interesting times in his life. And then he came to a point where God called him and says, I'm changing your name from Jacob to Israel. And out of you will come a nation. He had 12 sons. And the 12 tribes of Israel are named after the 12 sons of Israel. And they are actually the, uh, the people born out of those 12 sons. So they literally are the children of Israel. The man who was once known as Jacob. You get it? All right, back to the story. So the children of Israel have uh, come out of Egypt, moving towards the land that God promised them. They go through, there's a few stories in there. That's not the story I want to tell, but there are a few stories there. And they come to the promised land and the spies go into the land. You remember that story. And they come back and they say, uh, these people are too big. And so the nation of Israel decides not to go in. They refuse to go into the nation, uh, to their, their promised land because they were overwhelmed with the competition, with the problems that were there. And so they wander for 40 years in the wilderness while one generation dies and another generation rises up. Moses dies. And now the, the leader is Joshua. And it's now come where that, past, that other generation has passed away. Another generation has risen up. Joshua, who's part of that past generation, is still alive. Caleb also And Joshua is to lead them into the promised land. And he's given instructions by God. And they're very plain instructions. He says, here's what I want you to do. The priests 
and the people carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God, are to go and stand in the river while everyone else passes through. This river at this time was the time of harvest when it was a flood time. It would have been at least one football length wide and moving very quickly. And Joshua looks at that river and he says, you talking about this river, God? And the Lord says, yes. And here's how you're going to do it. The priests will go to the edge of the river and they will step their foot in the river. And when they step their foot in the river, the river will be piled up 30 30 miles above where you stand right now. Interesting story. And then I want you to take one man out of every tribe. And then he gathered those one men and he said, here's what, here's what I want you to do. He gave them a specific assignment for when they were to cross the river. He said, once the priests are in the river, the river is backed up, the people are to cross over. And so then it comes time for this to happen. Joshua prepares the people to move across. And they're all on the one side of the river. And we're talking about a lot of people. We don't know exactly how many because it doesn't say, but if you just take the numbers that they do talk about, it does talk about 40,000 soldiers, 40,000 warriors of just one and a half tribe are going to cross the river with them. 40,000 soldiers, that's not counting the men and women of those tribes. So that's a lot of people just out of one and a half tribe. And you multiply that over the 12 tribes. There's well over a million people. All standing, watching what's about to happen. They're a thousand yards behind the priests when the priests touch the water. But the priests and, and the carrying the Ark of the Covenant come and walk in front of all those people. They walk in front of um, over a million people. And walk towards the river. Can you imagine this moment for with me? Imagine it. They're watching the priests move towards the river. They have a promise. But they're moving towards the river. And they're coming to the edge of that river. And they're about to put their foot in the water. And they're told to walk into the middle of that river. Imagine that moment. Can you do that? This is the story. But they come to that edge of that river. But here's what they had. They had a promise. God said, when you put your foot there, it'll back up. But they also had a story. Because this had happened before. The power of story. They'd come to the Red Sea, if you remember, right? And this generation maybe had not been there when that happened. They may have been very young, but they remember the story. They've been told the story over and over and over again by their parents that they stood at the edge of the Red Sea, the Egyptian army about to take, take, run over them. And God opens the river and they walk over on dry land. They had a promise And they had a story. The power of story. So, we follow the story. And they're getting ready to cross over. The priests approach that river. And they step their foot in the river. And what happens? 30 miles up, the river stops flowing. Starts to back up. And it becomes dry where they are. Imagine that moment. Well, let me interrupt that story for a moment and talk about our story. Can we do that? Um, Thank you, two of you. (laughs) He is so generous. The mission was not the mission 25 years ago. It's a good church. 
over in the other building. This building didn't exist. It was a dry piece of ground. It was a safe church. It's not that God wasn't there. It was. There were people saved. It was, it was a good church. It had good programs. But Deb and I and others within this congregation, Mark and Tammy among them, became hungry for more. I'd been in ministry for about 24 years at that time. And I was tired of what the church was. I was tired of my experience in the church. And we hungered for more. How many of you know what I'm talking about? A thirst, a hunger that God really is. And I I read a book that really devastated me. It was a book by Michael Brown called Whatever Happened to the Power of God. And I read that book and I thought, yeah, whatever happened? Why aren't we seeing that in our church? Why aren't we seeing that among our people? Why aren't we seeing what Jesus said? I I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When are we going to see that church? And then we began to hear of what God was doing in the nation. Deb had a dream. In that dream, she saw all these pieces of of a machine laying out on the ground. She couldn't tell exactly what it was, but some of the parts looked like lawnmower parts. And she asked the Lord, what is this? Well, it's a lawnmower. You see, you've been a lawnmower for the church. What does a lawnmower do? A lawnmower makes sure that everything's the same height. Right? The grass is all the same. Nice and neat and orderly. The edges are cleaned up. So everything looks good. But I want to make you a threshing machine that tears down mountains. And it's not going to look that manicured. It's going to be messy. But that's what I want to make you. And our hunger increased and Deb and It's the joy of telling the story. You get to live it again. Deb Deb and Tammy began to pray over in the other building every Friday morning. And just the two of them in there praying, declaring the promises of God, praying over the sanctuary, praying over the people. They started cleaning the carpet, not knowing exactly why, not knowing that there was going to be a day when people would lay on that carpet with their faces buried in it, weeping before God. And then Mark joined them, began to pray with them. I joined them. And it wasn't, I don't know how long it was, but they just kept praying. We just kept praying and praying and praying and praying. And there were times when we'd have 200 people there on a lunchtime praying. People were hungry. They were tired of what was. Wanted what God could do. The people, when they stood at that river, they really didn't know what was going to happen. Do you understand that? We know because we, we know the story. Well, of course they were brave. Of course they had no doubts. No, come on, they were people. And they didn't know, but they had a promise and they had a story and they were going to do what God called them to do. We had promises. We saw what was happening. We heard the story of what God was doing around the nations. And we're saying, God, we don't care if you do it that way. We just want you to do what you want to do in this place. And we kept praying, kept believing, 
We kept exploring what is God doing in the nation. We went to different places. And then on a Saturday night in October, in the men's retreat, believe it or not, that presence and power of God came and rocked those men. I had to drive home that night. On the way home, I called Deb and I said, Deb, I think it's happening. She was at home in reading and she had begun to shake before I called and didn't know what was going on. Presence of God was so real in her room. And what happened later after I'd left that to come home to make sure I was here on Sunday morning. Ryan. So I think you need to understand something about Ryan. He's a very unique young man. Yes, he is. But he's lived, he lived through those early stories as a young teenager. And he was in that men's retreat. He pulled off his clothes. Thankfully, it was men only. He pulled off his outer clothes. The presence of God had fallen in the place. It was so powerful. Men didn't know what to do. They were weeping. They were laughing. They were, they were repenting. And Ryan just screamed as he took off his clothes. I will never wear the clothes of a dead man again. We came to church that Sunday morning. Some of the men had already come on back. They wanted to be there on Sunday morning. And the power of God fell in the house. And things were never the same again. People were weeping. They were on their face on the carpet. That had been prayed over and cleaned and prepared. We didn't know what would happen. We didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. We just knew we had a promise and we'd heard the stories. Nations began to open up to us. People began to be set free. Demons were cast out. There was an 18-month period of time when every time Deb, or Deb and, and Tammy had to go and See, yeah. Deb and Tammy <laughs> had to go and set somebody free from demonic oppression. I mean, it was real, real. I remember it stopped all of a sudden. We didn't have any. I thought, oh, God, have we gotten so weak in your presence that the demons are no longer. And then I heard a, a woman scream in the back of the church. I go, thank you, Jesus. Hey, this is my story. I can tell it. Those of you who've gone through it, you'll tell it differently. You'll have different perspectives like they did. Different perspectives. But it's the story that matters. We didn't know. But we put our feet in the river anyway. Because we were hungry, desperate. So let's go back to their story, Israel's story. So the river held back. The priests in the ark moved to the middle of the river. And they stood there while over a million people walked across that river, a football length width, to the other side. That took all day. And the priests and those carrying the ark stood so that others could get on by. Now the 12 men were instructed to stand on the one side of the river and wait for everybody to go across while the priests stayed and the ark stayed. 
And once all the people were across, they were instructed to go into the middle of the river, right where the priests were standing, and there collect a stone. One stone for one man representing one tribe. All 12 of them. So they did. They went. They collected the stones. They walked to the other side, as they were instructed to do. And there they piled the rocks, just a pile. There was no real design to them. And that wasn't like, we often think of this pile of rocks as some huge monument. It was not. It was the size of a rock that a man could carry. And there were 12 of those. Now, they were a little stronger than me, so (laughs) bigger rocks, probably. And there they piled up the stones at a place called Gilgal, which was, would become known as Gilgal, which was the first camp of the children of Israel on the other side in the promised land. When, but why? why? Why did they do this? Well, when, when Joshua met with the 12 men, he gave them the men's version Very brief instruction as to why. Didn't give them the whole journey. He gave them the whole story. He just gave them the men's version, the way we like it, guys. Just give me the facts, right? So he says to them, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go and pile those rocks over there. And this will be a memorial for Israel. That as the fathers pass by with their children and the children say, what do those rocks mean? They will say, well, let me tell you a story. And you'll tell them the story that God held back the water while the children of Israel crossed over. That was what Joshua told to them. But then, the story doesn't end there because Joshua then, once they're all on the side of the river, the the priests leave the river and the water begins to flow again. And they all get together on that side and Joshua collects all the people around this little pile of stones. Don't imagine this great big altar. It's a pile of 12 stones. And they're all wondering, because they watch these 12 guys walk into the river and pick up a stone. What are these guys doing? And they pile the stones, and Joshua gathers them all around, and he gives them the full version. And we read it in chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4 of Joshua. And he says this, and now the people came up out of Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they camped in Gilgal on the first, on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. He, then he spoke to the children of Israel saying, when your children ask their fathers in time to come saying, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did at the Red Sea. What did he just do? He just increased the story. He says, I want want them to know there's a connection to the old stories. They're important still. The new story is great, but the old story still matters which he dried up before us until we crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty. Notice he said it doesn't, it, it, will, it was mighty, but it is mighty. So that every single one, every single father who takes their children by and tells the story, he will not say, oh, the hand of the Lord was mighty, the hand of the Lord is mighty. So that that little boy or that little girl will know the hand of the Lord is mighty for his generation. Yeah. Huh. Huh. God knows the importance of a story. In telling the story, they connected the past to their present and gave them faith for the future. For the test they would come. They were going to face a walled city called Jericho, whose walls were so wide that, a, that, that the houses could fit in it. And they were going to face that walled city. 
But they had a story and they had a promise. It's like David. When he faced Goliath, what did he do? He said, I, I've got a story. I killed a bear, the hand of the Lord. I killed a lion, the strength of the Lord. I have a story. And I have a promise because this guy doesn't belong here. He's on my property and he's coming down. What did he have? I had his promise and a story. He was anointed king. And he was to stand as king. So he had a promise, but he also had a story. We were building this building. <laughs> I said we were building this building. God was building this building. And we, we had all the trenches dug. You remember this, Mark and Tammy. All the trenches dug for uh, the foundation to be poured. Uh, all the steel was in the trenches. And it began to rain. And it would rain for a day or so. And we'd have to get in there. And the guys would have to get in there again and take out all the mud and make sure that everything was reset. And that would happen day after day after day after day. And I, and I began to complain to God. I said, God, you're wasting your money. <laughs> right? So now let's go back. About, I don't know, maybe it was a couple months. I don't remember the, the exact timeline. But Deb had gotten this scripture where it talks about putting the jasper and the diamonds and the rubies and all the, the jewels in the foundation of the temple. Right? And the Lord has spoken to her, I want you to do that in the foundation of the, the new building. And so we were up in, up in the mountains somewhere and... Uh, and we came into this little store and they had all this colored glass. It was, but it looked like diamonds and rubies. And the Lord said, that, that'll work. And we were so glad. <laughs> so we picked that up. And we had these bags of these in our, the trunk of our car. We carried them around for quite a while. He said, you know, he wanted them in the foundation. So we carried them around. See, sometimes we, we don't understand how important a story is to God. Right? How important a story is to God. And so we're carrying these stones around and this rain, rain, rain. Keep having to empty out the trenches. Rain again, empty out the trenches. And again, I said, God, you're wasting your money. And he said, put the jewels in the foundation. I go, oh. So Mark and we called Mark and Tammy. We got out here and we started distributing those in all the trenches all around. The next day, a storm was coming from the north, and it came down, and they could see this on the Doppler radar. It got to Vacaville, and it split, went all around us, rained all around us, out, moved on down, out into the, out into the south, and it did not touch, and we were able to pour the foundation. God loves a good story. He loves a good story. Let me tell you what these stones are not, and they weren't for them either. These stones are not an object of worship. We sometimes call this, when we, when we talk about this story, this is the altar of remembrance, right? An altar. It's really not an altar. It's not a place of worship. These are not to be worshipped. The events, the stories are not to be worshipped. But they're to point to the one who is to be worshipped. The wonder-filled one. That's what they are. And I love the stories. God loves the stories. But it all points to him. It all points to him. And what, let me tell you what else it isn't. They are not there to hold us to our past. Oh, the good old days. No. 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 They're important. They need to be told. But not to, to, to imprison us there. But to release us into the future with faith. 
Because we're going to face insurmountable odds. We need the story. We need to know what they told the children. May that they they would know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. These stones are living stones of the goodness and greatness of God. Not of ours, not of our doing anything except simply yielding to the Lord. And saying yes. Thank you, Tammy. Stories need to be told. Stones. Strong table. I pray. So now what is this? This is our place to get the stones out of our testimonies for this generation. Say, well, there's already stone there, yep. That's because we've already had a miracle in this house. I've talked about it a few times since it's happened but I don't know that ever, we all realize the bigness and of, the, of, the, of the financial miracle that took place here over this last year. We were coming out of COVID and all the things that took place there, all the families that moved out of, out of state, all of that, and we were in a, a very dire place financially as a, as a church. And we gathered as as a council, Ryan and the council and myself and Ryan who oversees everything in in the local ministry here. And we sat down, okay, what is the word of the Lord for us? What do we do? But I will tell you this, we never were afraid. We never believed that this would end poorly. Why? Because we had a promise. And we have so many prophetic words over this house that are yet to be fulfilled. We have a promise and we had stories. We'd been there before. And we'd seen financial miracles I could, te- I could spend all day telling you about. So we stood listening to the wisdom of the Lord to do what we needed to do. And we made decisions that were difficult decisions, but they were the decisions the Lord would direct. And when we did that, and then we presented the need to the people, we stepped into the river. And God held the water back. And many of you, I've heard testimonies from many of you, we just forgot that the church needed us. We forgot that this is what God's plan is. We forgot this is how finances work. And you've responded. And it's not just a one-time response. But I could give you numbers. I won't do it this morning. But I could give you numbers of where we were and where we now are that would absolutely blow your mind. And the decisions we made that were difficult still needed to be done just because we needed to refocus the way we were doing things. And this is what Ryan said in the middle of one of those meetings. He says, this is a good thing because now we get to operate the way we need to operate. I thought, ooh, son in whom I'm well pleased. You see, we've already got one. But there's going to be a lot more. Because this is where we put ours now. What do we do with ours now? What about our stories? Listen, I'm the old man in the house. I'm the old man in the leadership. And I love the old stories. In fact, the Lord told me when we built this house, he said, when the, the way I build this house, the story is going to be so powerful. Wherever you tell it, wherever you go, 
the people will respond and faith will be built. And I, I didn't tell the story for many years for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, I'm American. I'm slow. And, and, I, and then God reminded me of the story one time as I, I finished my message. And they'd already taken two offerings. Took an offering for the church. They'd taken an offering for me. And I, I said to the pastor, I said, would, would you mind? Will you trust me? Which is, you know, like, what's he going to say, Right. He'd invited me there. He had no idea what I was going to do. I stood up and for just 10 minutes, I told the story of how God built this building. And I said, now I want to take a, an offering for the, for the future of this church. When I took that offering, it was the largest offering they'd ever had in the history of that church. After two other offerings. That man... <laughs> That man, everywhere he travels, every once in a while he travels with me. He's spoken here, by the way. He tells everybody the story. He said, you need to hear the story because it absolutely transformed our church. We were in such bondage and such lack, and God has absolutely broken it. The story. The story. So I love that story. And I'm going to keep telling it. And some of you say, well, just here he goes again. We're telling the story. I'm an old man. Come on. But I want to tell the new stories. Your stories. See, the stories we're going to have now are the stories 10 years from now. People are going to go, wow. We're going to say yes. Yes. Yeah. It's our, our stories. Not joking. And those of us who have been here a while and are older, we need to to not sit down. We need to stay standing. As leadership in the house, as fathers and mothers in the house that will strengthen the generation coming behind us. And the rest of you, come on. Come on. We want you to have your victories. We want you to have your stories of miracles and signs and wonders that God does in your life and in the life of your families, the life of this church. It will be your story. And we get to hold you on our shoulders. Say, go for it. There is a new generation of leadership rising up in this church. It's different. It looks different. It sounds different. It preaches different. It talks different. So we who have gotten used to how we are. We need to pray for that generation of leadership. We need to get behind that generation of leadership. And they will grow because of that. Or we can sit and go, I know. It's the way we are. It's, no, it's not that. It's not the same. It's not the same as David. And if we do, they will flounder. But if we say we pray for them, we'll stand with them, we'll support them, then they will succeed. And we get to go, yep. Yep. Do it with no teeth. Yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where. So I, I know I need to stop. I'm just having too much fun. But there's another part of this story that I just want to kind of end with. Go ahead, worship team, go ahead and come on up. Come on. This is part of that younger leadership right here. So thankful that God brought Paris into our life in a leadership. Go Paris! Role. 
There's another part of this story that you probably have never really noticed because very few preach on it because there, there seems to be no reason given for why they did it. After everybody had crossed over and the 12 stones had been brought out, priests were still in the river. Joshua had 12 stones taken from the promised land and put in the middle of the riverbed. It says that he did it, but it doesn't say why he did it. So let me, let me give a, um, an application of that story. Not an interpretation, because don't, we don't really know. But I think there's one that I think is there. When he puts those 12 stones there, when the river comes, those 12 stones will be covered. No one can see them. But when famine comes, and the dry time comes, and the river dwindles down to a small little stream, and they wonder, will the harvest come again? Will the time of harvest come again? All they have to do is see the pile of stones in the river. And know that God has not deserted them, has not left them, that God has, a pro- has continued to make his promise to the people of Israel. See, I think the dry times prophesy the goodness of God. They prophesy that his provision is coming. They prophesy that the change is going to happen, that he's not abandoned. You may be going through a dry time right now, but God has promised you he's not leaving you. He has stones in your life. He has stories in your life that you can draw on in that time that says, no, this may be a dry time. It may be a desert time, but it's not going to stay this way because he's with me. I think that's one of the reasons he put him there. I'm sure there's, we'll know more in heaven. It's okay. So I just encourage you to know, no matter where you are in that experience or in your journey, there's a promise and there's a story. And as a church right now, we see empty seats where once they were full. But there are stones. There are stones in the river, in the riverbed that just looks like gravel right now, that needs the refreshing rain of God, that needs the flow of the river to come over it again. And we have a promise and we have a story. One of the promises we have is Chris Vallotton when he was here. He prophesied said reinforcements are coming reinforcements are coming reinforcements are coming reinforcements are coming we have a promise and boy do we have the stories just stand up with me
Who wants a new story? 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 Who wants a new story for their life, for their family? If you say, well, I've never been prophesied over. Well, we can fix that. We also have promises in God's word. That that tormenting spirit that's been upon you, God's word said that doesn't have to happen anymore. You have promises. You have promises. And I can tell you stories if you don't already have them. I can tell you the story of people walking into this building with disease and leaving completely free. I can tell you the story of that woman that screamed out that morning that I was so excited that a demon had come into the room. Deb went back to pray over her. She didn't know any English. So there was a gal with her and she was trying to interpret what Deb was was communicating to her and the demonic spirit. And Deb finally said, no, that's okay. Just do it in the spirit. She began to pray over her. And the, the, the demonic voice was coming out, speaking. And Deb just... Deb, Deb had this thing, and Tammy does too, of just loving the hell out of people. I'm telling you, I watched my wife, she grabbed hold of a demonic person that had a demonic spirit and hold them until the love of Jesus cast it out. And this woman couldn't understand a word Deb was saying, but the demonic spirit left. And then this woman was just talking. Just, just quickly talking, and Deb turned to the woman and said, "What is she saying?" She says, "I have no idea." She was praying in the spirit. She'd been saved, healed, and delivered, and was now praying by the Holy Spirit. I can tell you stories. Your financial situation? Listen, I can tell you stories. When we couldn't even afford a ream of paper. We couldn't afford to pay our staff hardly. God built this building debt-free. This is what happens when we have a promise and we got the stories. So I'm giving you some stories. And I'll continue to give you stories. Mark and Tammy will give you stories. Listen to, listen to others in the, in, the, in the body that's been here for a long time. Pat and Larry Domansky, we're always sitting right down here. Draw a story from them and be encouraged, be enlightened. So we have stories and we have promises. So I reach my hands over you right now and I just pray for a fresh anointing for new stories new stories let me warn you new stories come because you need them miracles happen because you need a miracle so don't be afraid of the place that's dry don't be afraid of the place that doesn't seem to have an answer it prophesies a new story to you it's your opportunity to stand in faith because you have stories from your past, you can now point at that story. This giant's going to fall too. So, God, I pray over these.
for a fresh anointing for story and courage. Put your hand on your heart. Father, I pray courage, courage, courage in the heart of every single one in this house right now to be able to stand in the pressure, in the test of the testimony, to stand during that time and know that what they are going through is prophesying that you are coming. That you are coming to their rescue. That you have a, you have a story for them to tell and they're going to get them through that so they can tell the story. For we are people who have decided to be the ones telling the stories of God's greatness. Not the ones that just hear about them. So we align ourselves with you right now in Jesus' name. We raise a hallelujah. We raise a hallelujah. Come on. We raise a hallelujah. I, 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 think, I think this might have, been, might have been the song they were singing on that day when they crossed the river, right? <laughs>
of our history, we're the people of our destiny. And as an old man, hear what I'm saying. I may be an old man, but I dream dreams. Isn't that what what it says in the book of Acts? Old men shall dream dreams, so that the young men can see visions. It's time, guys, gals. Now I want to give you a New Testament blessing today. I always often read out of the Old Testament the blessing that was given to the priest to give to the people. I want to give you a New Testament blessing. If you ready? And then you better run if you've got children in the in the we, we have taxed their patience. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Who's your daddy? (laughs) That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think. According to the power that works in us. To him be glory. In the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Love you. Thank you for your patience. God bless you. Love on a few people. Is there is there the lunch this morning? Yeah, you want to get some good fellowship, go on over to the other room there and uh, or go and get some lunch and bring it back or something. There's there's food over there. man.